0: tuning in to beyond the dais a podcast about the stories taking place in and around el paso county colorado i'm your host scott anderson and today i am joined by trudy hodges the ceo for serenity recovery connection how are you doing today trudy i'm really
1: great thank you
0: great thank you for having me i appreciate it uh so before we get started today i wanted to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around el paso county or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. But Let's get into things, Trudy. I was wondering if you could start by giving me a bit of background about yourself and how you came to be associated with Serenity Recovery Connection.
1: Yes, um, I'd be happy to do that. Um, Scott, I have been in the nonprofit arena for over 40 years. And um, many years ago, I served as the executive director of CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. And then I went on to um, do some uh, work with um, coaching other organizations, and um, was a consultant mm-hmm. for about five years with other nonprofits, not only here but all over the country. I was also consulting with Springs Recovery Connection, which was the former name of this organization. And in that consulting work that I was doing, um, I just came to really love the mission of the organization. And when the founder, Kathy Plush, stepped down, I... Um, She let me know in in advance that she was thinking about stepping down, and I was really interested in just working for one agency again with Mm -hmm. a mission I could believe in. So long story short, at CASA, the people we served who had abused and neglected their children, most of them had drug and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I became interested in that population of people um, many, many years ago. But also, briefly, my first husband was an alcoholic and an addict, and he died due to alcoholism. And so my heart has been with wanting to transform um, outcomes for individuals who have these addictions, which are really a disease. And um, so when the job came open at Springs Recovery Connection, I really was extremely interested in working on this mission.
0: That, that's that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, would you share some more background about Serenity Recovery Connection and some more of what that main mission is of the organization?
1: Yes. Um, so the mission is to serve individuals with substance use disorder. Um, now we're really also working with people with a co-occurrence of mental illness and um, to provide peer coaching for those individuals to help them step into recovery with the support of our coaches and um, also to uh, work on community education and stigma reduction. So we know that there's still a significant amount of stigma in our community around drug and alcohol addictions, and we are committed to helping change that in this community.
0: That's wonderful. And approximately how many people do you serve and what communities do you serve?
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting, and this, this also relates to the fund, the ARPA funds we received, mm-hmm. but um, we were serving about um, 2,500 people, somewhere between 2,500 people last year and 2022, and now we're serving 3,500 people. Oh, wow. And we're just six months into the year. Yeah. So we've grown by 1,000 a, a um, participants in mm-hmm. the last year. The populations we serve are individuals from all walks of life, So we have people who just walk in our door every day, sometimes as many as 10 a day. And we have people that are referred from treatment facilities, so they're getting out of treatment, but they need someone to walk beside the person after they get out of treatment, kind of bridging them back Mm -hmm. into the community. Mm -hmm. And um, we also receive referrals from the hospital as well as from other agencies in town and from um, the courts. So we work very closely with the drug courts. There are um, seven um, courts that relate, relate to drug addiction in our community, and we have a very close partnership with the 4th Judicial District.
0: Oh, very good. Very good. And can you talk about how important it is then, especially with all those relationships you have throughout the community, uh, for this organization to be viewed as one that the community can turn to in their time of need?
1: You know, Scott, it's really critical um, that people can see us as a place that they can come to, a place that not only delivers hope, Mm -hmm. but that does not have judgment or shame involved. And so about um, last August, we purchased this building, and we call it a recovery community center, Mm -hmm. and part of the ARPA funds helped us with this. The reason that we wanted to be in this building was to create a center where people could come to get the support they needed. And we kind of believe that if we built it, they would come, and that's exactly what's happened right. <laughs> with the increase in the number of people attending. Yeah. Um, but the important part is that individuals need to know that there's a safe place to come and talk mm-hmm. about what they're going through and about their um, challenges around SUD without any judgment.
0: Yeah.
1: Everyone who works here, with the exception of me, is a person <laughs> in long-term recovery. So we have... 30 individuals on our staff. Um, all of them have had their own lived experience in re- in recovery for a long time themselves, and they love walking beside other people who are trying to figure out how to deal with their addiction. So that's that's what we're about, and we want people to feel like this is a safe haven for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. What do you think that does for the individuals who come here to know that the people that they're working with, that they're, that they're standing right beside are people who have been through that journey before themselves.
1: I think it makes all the difference in the world. Um, there's a lot of um, studies that have been done on what, are, what we're called, which is an RCO, a recovery community organization. Mm-hmm. And um, we are an evidence-based organization, meaning uh, we have proven outcomes. And a significant percent of everyone we serve stays in recovery. And so for them to know that they can talk to the other person about what they're going through, even maybe how much they're using drugs or alcohol, mm-hmm. um, about difficult life life challenges that come along right. because of uh, substance use disorder. So a lot of people have lost jobs. Some have had DUIs. Some have ended up in prison. Um, some have uh, broken families. Yeah, And um, so... This, this thing of substance use disorder is something that affects almost all areas of your life. And there's a lot of um, shame yeah. and blame that comes into that. And so for them to be able to have someone who understands and who's been in that dark place before, just to help lift them out, they can see that there's hope. Because there's another person sitting right right next to them yeah. who's been there. And, and they're now in recovery. Yeah.
0: So you you mentioned stigma before and I think that was more directed towards people on the outside looking in. How do you I guess battle that stigma for those who are coming in for for, for those that you serve because there's likely a stigma for them about oh how this some recovery organization is going to be right. Oh, they're going to make me do this. Oh, it's going to be like that. How do you how do you fight those kind of preconceived notions about Um, people coming into the program?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Well, one way we fight it is that we're what's called a low barrier organization. We don't charge for any of our services. Um, Another way is that our intake process, you know, when someone comes to us is very brief. We call it a brief intake. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do all the paperwork that you might have to do if you go to another place for services. Um, We try to make it so that they're not, we're not putting more hoops to jump through for every individual who comes here. And because we're a nonprofit organization, we're not governed by um, anyone who's telling us all the, the information we have to draw down, except we do have some grants that want to see some stats, some outcomes, sure. but it's not individualized. Mm-hmm. And so it's not put on the individual participant to have to jump through hoops and fill out tons of paperwork and, you know give away their social security number and all (laughs) that good stuff
0: yeah no no that makes a lot of sense so you've uh you've briefly mentioned it a couple times throughout the conversation so far uh, but after submitting your grant request to the county serenity recovery connection was awarded four hundred thousand dollars of arpa funding Uh, can you talk more specifically about what that money has gone to fund
1: yeah i can but can i say make another comment first oh sure if i may of course um I have been really, really impressed that the county did that, gave ARPA funds out to nonprofits that were deserving in the community. Um, I have seen many times in the past where city and county governments receive funds and they absorb them all themselves. And so I was really touched by the fact that the county saw fit to share those with agencies that can impact lives and futures. Uh, That $400,000 was transformative for our agency, and it allowed us to buy this building. It didn't pay for all of it, but it it was a significant, really significant gift. Um, And to start, this is called a recovery community um, center. Mm -hmm. And to start this center to be able to serve more people because we were able to make our staff larger through that $400,000 and provide more peer coaching and more support groups. We now have about 20-something support groups that meet here weekly, mm-hmm. and many of them come from other agencies. And then within our walls, not only do we provide our services and support groups that, are, that have a variety of different types, um, we also have now volunteers who provide legal counsel. We, we have partnered with many other organizations to improve the... Um, the ability for people to get into services quicker, like mm-hmm. like Diversus, working with them to sure. get therapy more quickly. Mm-hmm. We've partnered with Homeward Pikes Peak in a deep, deeper way and so on and so forth. And so what we're able to do is get people more more quickly into sober living homes, uh, more quickly into therapy. Um, we can get mental health services, psychiatric services. Mm-hmm. We're able to... Um, Help with food, clothing, shelter, everything. Not that we provide it all, but mm-hmm. that we have the connections. Right. And so the breadth of what we're able to do on behalf of the people we serve has expanded four hundred thousand times.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, hearing that is really interesting. And you use the word transformative. I think it's. I think it's hard for people who aren't connected to the organization, who don't see the outcome of organizations like yours um, to really get a grasp on, you know, God, $400,000 seems like a lot of money and, you know, I don't benefit from it and, you know, I don't see where it goes. But again, you mentioned the word transformative. What does it do now that you're able to service more individuals and transform their lives? Like, what do you see on your end as how that outcome really is impactful for the community.
1: Super good question. Scott, um, if I may, could I tell a quick story? Absolutely. Give you an example? Absolutely. Um, There's a young woman whose first name is Melissa, and she was hospitalized um, in um, UC Health Memorial Hospital due to drug and alcohol addiction. And when she was hospitalized, she was put on a special unit called the HOPE unit, um, which is for individuals like herself. But the reason she was hospitalized is her, her um, liver was toxic, and she had um, liver disease mm-hmm. because of her use of alcohol. But she also, her organs were shutting down, and she was actually in the process of dying. Young woman, about 20 years old. And she... Um, her parents were called in and told that she wasn't going to live and that they were going to put her on hospice. One of our peer coaches was, we have peer coaches in the hospital every day of the week, mm-hmm. um, was in the hospital and went to see her in the HOPE unit. And she also had had liver disease. And she told the parents and Melissa that there is HOPE, you know, that she almost died four years ago, this, this coach did, mm-hmm. from the same thing, and she made it. And um, they sent... Melissa, home on hospice, but we, the peer coach, and another coach who works with families, visited the family every week, sometimes more than once a week, and um, just dealt hope. Yeah. And um, Melissa survived. And she's now over a year um, sober, and she's now volunteering for our agency and giving back, and she's starting to work in the hospital, helping it, others. That's transformative. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing is, when we serve individuals who are coming out of jail or out of the courts also, they're individuals that are pretty much at their bottom in a lot of ways. If we can help them come into recovery, what that means is that they're no longer going to be using drugs or selling drugs if they have sold drugs in the past. Mm -hmm. But also, they're not going to necessarily end up with more charges and going back to jail and prison. So most of the crimes that are committed in our community are crimes that are related to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. So if we can help people to be in recovery, they're not going to continue to commit crimes. Our taxes aren't going to be so great because we're not going to have to put people in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, We won't have overtax our courts. You know, it, it, it makes an, a larger impact. It's like a ripple effect, right? Yeah. If somebody's not involved in drugs and alcohol, we won't have as much domestic violence. We won't have as much child abuse. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because it's one person at a time. But when you think that we're serving 3,500 people and probably next year it'll be 4,500, right. <laughs> you, can, you can see the ripple effect mm-hmm. um, of getting those people into a place of wellness where they're giving back to the community rather than taking away from the community and absorbing our resources. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so critical that these funds were used to grow an agency who can then um, help more people out of that really dark place.
0: Excellent. So you've mentioned a couple of nonprofits during this conversation so far. Uh, Homeward Pikes Peak was one, Diversus Health uh, another. Uh, how has working with other nonprofit organizations in the area uh, benefited the programs that you're working on as a whole?
1: Yeah, um, we really believe in something called a collective impact model, which means that we together as nonprofits and and even sometimes government agencies need to come together as I said before, collectively, mm-hmm. working collaboratively and with coordinated services. Um, and so we work with um, about 40 to 60 uh, oh, wow. nonprofits, somewhere in that range, in our community. We all belong to a larger organization called BHAC. It's, it's um, Behavioral Health Action Network. And we work together to look at the gaps in the system and how to create better um access to services and all of us have to do with substance use disorder and mental health. And so we're working to improve the warm handoffs for people from one agency to another, because one agency can't do everything. And so we've got to work with the mental health workers. We've got to work with the sober living homes. We've got to work with other providers of services that we, we can't provide. And so that, that collaborative, um, vision or purpose has to be held by all of us because we can't improve the systems unless we're working together. And it's a, it's a big part of who SRC is. And I spend a huge portion of my time as a CEO working on those collaborations.
0: Very good. And are there any other programs that the organization offers that you feel would be important for listeners to know about?
1: Yes. Um, Some of the programs that we offer is, I think I mentioned, um, that we work with the 4th Judicial District's um, problem-solving courts, and we serve almost all of those courts. Um, We now have stood up a veterans program, so we work with a lot of veterans. Um, It's pretty common for some veterans to have problems with substance use disorder. Um, We also um, have a program in the hospitals. So we serve UC Health hospitals here in the region, and our peer coaches are actually in the hospital. They're they're there in an office and, mm. and are there to um, be in the emergency room as well as the floors of um, Memorial Central Hospital. And we're also working with Memorial North and uh, Teller County Hospital. Um, we have a program that is a family program, and this is really important. Oftentimes, family members are so damaged by their loved one who's using and they get into just pretty unhealthy cycles because they're just overwhelmed
0: mm-hmm.
1: by the, the fear of losing the loved one or something horrible happening to them. And so the family program has offers classes every week. I think we have five a week where family members come and we help them learn how to love the person who has the alcohol or drug addiction, but how to set the boundaries that are needed, not only for the person who has the addiction but also for the family and we help the family learn how to take care of themselves but also how to speak into their loved one Mm -hmm. um oftentimes they're just the the family becomes um there's a lack of words to even know how to talk to that family member who's using and um the frustration and the anger about the behavior kind of takes over but we help them with the language and with the words to speak into their loved one to encourage them. And um, many of our families, because of the change in the way they're working with their loved one, um, have had their loved one go into treatment or come here for services. And so we see that how families react to their loved one makes a difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I would imagine that that is something that is very difficult for someone who comes in for treatment. I, you know, being by yourself clearly is the most difficult way to approach that. And when you have a support system like a family on your side, I may, and you could certainly speak to this much better than I could, but having that supportive family, probably you see greater success. We do. Yeah.
1: And, um, there, there are some old ways of doing things, which was to basically, um, blackball that individual from your family and that only causes further harm because it's it's for the individual who is using it's it's another put down mm-hmm. it's another rejection it's another hurt it's another shame and so when we can find a different way to approach um the person with addiction it frees the family up and it gives them confidence in how they're working with them but it's done through love rather than through cold hard actions yeah, and um we all love the person who's using but through frustration sometimes we make bad decisions
0: sure yeah of course so for those who may be seeking services uh whether for themselves or for a family member how can they go about obtaining those services
1: yes well um serenity recovery connection is is here five days a week from um eight to five and Um, You can call our main number, which is 719-465-2295. Or you can look us up on um, our webpage, which is information at srchope.org. Certainly, we do have people walking in every day as well. And so if you want to stop by our offices, we're at 985 West Fillmore, and um, we're in the old Boy Scout building, a lot of people know it, <laughs> just uh, west of the interstate. And um, you can just drop in and we can chat with you. There's always someone available. So please, if there's a need in a family, um, reach out because we would love to support you.
0: And if there are people listening that want to get involved, they have been through something similar themselves perhaps, or this is a mission that really speaks to them, how, where can they go to look and how can they best help for getting involved?
1: Yes. Um, also, the main number, um, we would put you through to the volunteer coordinator. Okay. And we do need volunteers. Um, we actually love having volunteers who have their own lived experience, meaning that they have overcome an addiction. Um, and we need help at the front desk. We need help making telephone calls back to individuals who are, um, you know, trying to come into recovery. So we call regularly. Um, for a number of months after we meet someone who's in need, if they're not ready for coaching yet. And often through those phone calls, we convince them to come in, and then we can really have um, engaged conversations or they start coming to our support group. So we we need help here with um, telephone calls. Um, we also have a very large training institute that I forgot to mention. And so if people are interested in becoming peer coaches themselves, those job positions are now well-paying. And peer coaches are used not only here, but excuse me, in other places like um, at Diversus mm-hmm. and in other recovery organizations. And so, it's kind of a new field that has evolved over the last ten years. And um, we train people to become certified as peer coaches on a statewide level, and we are um, we train people all over the state of Colorado.
0: Wow,
1: we do the trainings both in person and virtually. So um, anyone who is interested might be wanting to get back in the workforce or get into a new position in the workforce. This is a wonderful way to give back if you're someone who's come through the process of your own uh, substance use disorder and you're in recovery.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, Let us know if there's anything else you want to add, maybe something you didn't get a chance to talk about that you think feels important or something. uh, Maybe we already mentioned you really kind of want to drive a point home.
1: Yeah, I mentioned before um, transformational. Um, That's what we're really doing here. We're trying to help individuals transform their own lives. But one of the things that we do when someone starts coaching here is we help them, Well, they actually create a wellness plan for themselves, and so it's um, person-centered. They get to decide what they want for their wellness. Mm -hmm. We believe in something called mini-pathways to recovery. In other words, not everyone wants to go to AA. There's nothing wrong with AA. It's wonderful, but there might be another pathway someone wants to take. Maybe it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they need some kind of other assistance medically, and so or maybe just through a therapist. And so we support any pathway, and the person gets to create their own, and then we walk beside them and support them every week in whatever their plan is to help them into recovery. And in that way, that flexibility that we um, allow people, because every person is different, and we need to, uh, we believe in letting them make their own path to, to wellness. So... Um, I think it's important to know that on this um, podcast.
0: Yeah, Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Trudy. I appreciate you taking the time today and for all the work that you do here at Serenity Recovery Connection. So thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: Absolutely. And if you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, be sure to look for us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.